Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to Generally Famous, a stuff podcast. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love and what makes them tick. Today's guest is someone who began stand-up comedy well over a decade ago and has gone on to be involved in a host of TV shows from Seven Days to The Project and some of his own ventures, Only in Aotearoa and Frickin' Dangerous Bro on the Road. And with the second season started, Raised by Refugees on Sky and Neon, a son of immigrant refugees of Pakistan and Iran, but born and raised in Glenfield, the sure welcome to generally famous Paxasadi. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure and an honour. Hey, well look, it's an honour to have you on. I've been watching you and having a lot of fun with it um, over the last little while and in deep preparation for this podcast. Yeah, um, deep dive. Let's let's start with comedy. Okay. So the story I think I saw on the online or somewhere goes that you began stand up in what about 2012 to utilize your skills as a vacuum cleaning salesman is that sort of is there any truth in that or i mean it wasn't that it wasn't that deliberate um i didn't i didn't go oh i've developed skills as a vacuum cleaner salesman that will translate to stand up <laughs> i didn't make those like clear connections um but yeah my dad you know moved to to Hamilton and we all moved to Hamilton. Um, I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. No, I really yeah, am. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, I think it I've was... had about 90 jokes about Hamilton in this pod right. in this podcast over the last year or three. Yeah, I try to refrain from from. Yeah, it's cheap. Yeah, yeah. It's gratuitous. Hamilton. I mean, most of the things people say are true, but look, we've said them already. We don't <laughs> need to say them again. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so my parents moved to Hamilton. Obviously, my brother and I went with them. At, at the age of 14, we left Glenfield. Um, and my dad opened a vacuum cleaner store after studying, after finishing. Oh, his so degree. it was actually his store? It was his store. Yeah, it was right. his Godfrey's vacuum cleaners. Yeah. He franchised it off Godfrey's, obviously. Yes, There's yes, a bunch yes. of franchise owners of Godfrey's vacuum cleaners around the country. And, and that was his step into being a business owner. Fantastic. And obviously, being a business owner, for anyone is difficult in the first few years. Um, so he utilized the manpower of his child. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's standard immigrant yeah, practice, fair, isn't fair it? Enough, right? Yeah, fair enough, right? Fair enough. Did he pay that child? That's, I mean, uh, he's asked me not to talk about that publicly. Um, <laughs> Lest it be used in evidence against him in yes, court of law. Yes, absolutely. So actually um, in that regard, this, this, mm. um, and I don't want to get sucked into Raised by Refugees' fantastic show because I want to come to that a bit later. But yeah. in that regard, that shows, because um, that's got him there working for Jono, yeah. with Jono and Ben. Um, yes. but in that regard, it's not entirely accurate. I mean, it's obviously no. a, a, you know, a, entertainment and it's great yeah. will come but but uh but it does have them working in the um you know whatever it is the appliances store yeah yeah well i mean i've never claimed that that raised by refugees is an exact moment to moment replica of my life yeah um it's loosely based on my life and but what i've tried to replicate is the emotions and feelings and and experiences that we went through Yep. Throughout, it's got throughout a, it's got a truth, and I mean, it, it, some things yes. can be actually factually more accurate and not feel true, and things can sort of be less factually accurate and feel totally, totally. Yeah, no, totally. I, 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 I get that. It's very interesting. And, and how old were you when you sort of started your stand up? I was routines. I, I was. I did my first gig when I was nineteen. Mm -hmm. Were you were you always funny? No. Did you sort of have a sense that this was you know you had a God given funny gene and you were six years old and people were crowding around you and laughing no, at your jokes not at all not at all i was actually really quiet i was actually a really quiet shy kid who loved like sketching and i loved comic books and i loved being alone i still kind of am that kid you know when i when i leave the stage or when i leave a podcast interview or any kind of performative space I kind of become that kid again. That I don't think that's kid. uncommon. I think that's very common with performers. Yeah. Actually, a lot of performers are introverted. The stage <laughs> gives them a stage. Yes. Uh, to state, but but off that, that can be quite shy. I mean, um, Billy T was evidently like that. A lot, a lot of, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's sort of the Freddie Mercury um, syndrome, mm. I think, is what um, I, I call it. I've never, yeah. I don't think anyone else ever has, but uh, 
Yeah, I oh, know that's interesting. Yeah, it was I, I, it? and it's it's also interesting to to be a comedian and interact with people in the public. And and I love I love when people come up to me and tell me that they love what I do or they're they're a fan or or something that I've done has made them laugh or cry or whatever. Um, but it does it is a little bit frustrating to then come against the expectation that you need you. Oh, why aren't you this crazy kooky guy? Why aren't you funny every second? Yeah, why aren't you Why aren't you doing backflips and like making like <laughs> funny faces? And I'm like. Yeah. Well, first of all, you haven't seen my act, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, that's like none of none of us are like that. None yeah. of us are just like kooky clowns. Like wherever we go, that's that's an exhausting existence. So you're not selling me on you sort of launching into comedy, but without <laughs> overanalyzing it massively, was it? I mean, um, I don't want to put, but you know, was it a sort of child of immigrants thing? Being well, being kind of if I can, in quotes ethnic and yes, and what was to see where some part of what's going on here? Yeah. Oh no, a hundred percent. It was. I I was a quiet kid, and I'm still a quiet person, and I love my space. But high school, <clears throat> when I moved to Hamilton, high school and intermediate, intermediate and high school, but but more so high school was the arena in which I discovered comedy as a social tool. Mm. So it was kind of the first place I discovered being funny in a very um, pointed and deliberate way, rather than just like being the person you are all the time. I discovered it as a thing that you can, weaponize is the wrong word, but but utilize to yes. gain social capital. It's or a tool. A, a tool, yeah. Um, and then when I turned 16 or so, YouTube kind of, YouTube was around, but YouTube wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And a comedian by the name of Russell Peters, I don't know if you're, you're aware of Russell yeah, Peters. Yep, yep, yep. He was kind of the first comedian to explode on YouTube where he, he posted a couple of clips. And the story goes that he posted his clips from a stand-up special that he recorded just for Canada. It was purposely recorded for Canada only. The, the copyright of that special ran out. He got given the special. So he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to chop it up and chuck it on YouTube. Nothing. It's not going to change my career at all. He was on a plane on his way to Macau, I think, to perform for expats at a casino. And then when he landed in China, his clips had millions and millions and millions of views. And he was a global superstar. So... I was one of those people that consumed that stand-up as a 16-year-old. And in that moment, became obsessed with this idea of take, taking that idea of comedy as a tool to its most extreme, which is monetizing it or or perfecting it as a craft, an actual job. And you, um, and you learned your craft at yes. the Classic Comedy Bar or Club or whatever it's called yes, on Queen Street. How often were you going there? Simon, as often as I could. Yep. Every single gig that came my way, I would take it. But that's what you got to do as a stand-up. There's no school that teaches you how to do stand-up. There's no place. No one. You can read books and 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 have conversations and whatnot. But the move, the needle won't move in terms of your ability unless you're on stage constantly. Um, so I would take every gig. You got to get that thousand or ten thousand or whatever it is yeah. hours, right? And yeah. And, and what was your routine back then? Is it fundamentally kind of at some levels the same, or was it quite different? You working as you were working it out. I mean, what yeah, was your I, sort of shtick? It was it was very different. It was very like, if I'm being honest, it was it was impressions of other comedians, right? You know, it was a, it was a little bit of Chris Rock. It was a little bit of um Danny Boy it was it was a little bit of you know Dave Chappelle it was a little bit of Ellen DeGeneres you know I was a huge I love her 80s HBO specials they're some of my favorite specials so I was just doing impressions of like a bunch of famous comedians that I knew and it was very disingenuous and not pure but that's normal like so yeah. many comedians do that when they first yeah. start um and it takes a long time to really figure out who you are on stage I would say it takes probably seven to 10 years to finally really know who yeah. you are on stage and be comfortable on stage and not be doing versions of other people. Um, and also, you know, like my material, was so it's so bad. It's so, <laughs> it was so bad. Well, Sometimes I find old joke books when I was like a teenager and it was just, it's really <laughs> hard to read. 
I um, you, you, I was just thinking before you'd even said about that seven to ten years. I was yeah. just thinking to myself, you've described the first decade of my political career, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. You're copying yeah. what you see another cool guy. You think yes. more cool guy than you doing that sort of works. That's, that's who are you until imitating? you find you. Oh, you know, um, I find that fascinating. John Key and yeah. Bill English and these guys. You know, you, you oh, they they said that. Well, I'll copy yeah. that. Um, yeah. and it's only in the last few years of politics that I kind of worked out my yeah. Uh, my yeah. my routine is it is uh, as it, as it were. I, I've been watching a, l- a lot of you online. I've been stalking you, and I don't want to sound surprised, funny. but you're really funny. Thank you, and, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, to me, your shtick now is. I mean, obviously, there's different parts. But one of it's yeah. just kind of ordinary dad life. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> being a dad is like. I mean, you know, you'll know this. Being a dad is so all encompassing. It just kind of swallows up so much of your life, and so. It's inevitable, you you know. Audiences can feel when you're being disingenuous. Mm. Audience can feel when you're like talking about things that you that aren't really your life anymore. You know, I can't be up there talking about like I don't know what uh, what do young people talk about? I don't know dating and like whatever. I yes. mean, partly because I'm married, so they'll be like, "Well, what's going on there?" But um, <laughs> audiences can feel when the thing you're saying yes it's exaggerated and yes it's 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 a bit it's a joke it's a story or whatever but when it's coming from a real grain of truth they can feel that truth or they can feel you know if it's something that is painful they can feel that pain you know like i'm working on a bit right now about um how my children just like they physically i mean for lack of a better term my children just molest me regularly. So they'll just like tackle me and like grab me and just like do whatever they want with me. And I have to, as a dad, be like, it's fine. You know, it's my kids, you know, it's all yeah. good. They're young. They're five yeah. and seven. We're just having fun. But, you know, I inevitably feel a little bit vulnerable and taken advantage of. And like, <laughs> yes, it's a bit. I'm being I'm being facetious and I'm like yes. exaggerating something that is a small grain of truth. But that grain of truth is what is relatable to all dads remembering when they get tackled by their kids and have to pretend like whatever their kids do to them is fine. Like when your kids squeeze your nipples as hard as they can, you have to be like, oh, yeah, you cheeky little, (laughs) you know, you cheeky Cheeky little monkey. That fucking hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and, and they have no personal space. No, they don't. It's like, you know, this is actually my toilet. Yeah, and you, the you know, I've worked hard, so we've actually got a house with more than one toilet, and those yeah. are your ones. Stay yeah, out of yeah, my yeah. toilet. Yeah, go. And there's going to come a time, little girl, where it's yeah. not appropriate that you come into the toilet when I'm in the toilet. Yes, your toilet is the communal one. Go to the communal one. My my favorite thing, my favorite thing, my daughter has done recently that is is in the realm of no personal space, is um, I've woken up. And my daughter is directly above my face as the moment I've woken up. And she goes, Daddy, I'm going to watch Bluey. (laughs) Okay, man. Yeah, um, some people are really staunch on this, but I I would say more often than not, I wake up in the morning and I have a child or children, plural, in the same bed as me. Oh, I'm so sick of getting kneed in the spine. Yeah, and it's just like, and they sleep on diagonal. Yeah, it's so annoying. I'm done. Keep your keep your limbs away from my orifices. <laughs> and they're just these hot little green. They're so warm. Yeah, they're so warm. I mean, my wife is too. She's like a No, my my wife is ice cold. Oh, well, I want to be ice cold. I'm just uh, spending all night looking for the mm. cool patch. Moving right along. Another part of your comedy um yeah. is the funny stuff if I can put it this way that's serious um about yeah. being an immigrant's a kid, ethnic, different. Um, yeah, I, I saw you in Melbourne, uh, or I didn't see you live, but I saw a clip of you in Melbourne um, mm. saying how good it was to be there. You know, you visited the View, you visited Federation Square, and the Melbourne interrogation room. <laughs> you yeah. like that, and yeah. it was so good that you got a finger in your bum. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, but 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 awkward, you know. And and yeah. I thought those racists in the Australian audience, they would have found it awkward too. Oh, and the, you know the thing is, and in that same set, I don't know if you watched the whole set, Simon, but in that same set, I yell at the audience about how much I hate Australia, yeah. and that uh, their their country is a godforsaken go? place that's too hot and everything wants to kill them, and 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 I just say that to their face, and that moment got the biggest laugh in the set. 
you know, and and which it actually, think- to be fair to, to to be fair to them and and, yeah. and not fair to us, it wouldn't yeah. in New Zealand if you were doing the same around Kiwis, right? We'd be like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're probably yeah, a bit more self-assured yeah, or something. You're probably right. You're probably right. I think Australians are a little bit arrogant in the fact that they know that their country sucks, but um. I don't know. Like they know their country sucks, but in many ways is better than our country, but in many ways is not. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you know, maybe it's better weather and, uh, you know, like you can make more money in Australia and all this other stuff. But yes. then there's also a bunch of other stuff where objectively New Zealand is a better country. Um, and I think they're a little bit more secure in that. Whereas I think New Zealand, we have, and I have this too, I'm not painting other people with this brush and not painting myself with it, but um, New Zealand, we maybe have a little bit of a little brother syndrome where yes. we're like, hey, no, we're cool too. Don't yeah, say no, that. Um, yeah. I think it could work in New Zealand. Yeah, and, and look, I, I hadn't really intended to ask you this, but I, 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 I think I'm right to say you'd be doing a bit of Aussie, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, there is a sense, racism or vexed thing, would you say, over there or no? I mean, they've just had a vote on... Um, what is it? The voice and that that lost, and you know, it's it's, it's a. I mean, it's complicated everywhere. Yeah. But um, I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't want to say Australia's a racist place as a blanket statement. That's not a fair thing to say. But is it fair to say that the only outright racism I've ever experienced is in Australia? Yes. Mm. Do those anecdotes mean that Australia is objectively one thing overall? No, that doesn't mean that. But I do think that New Zealanders, there is a level of warmth and a level of care for other people that New Zealanders have that I haven't really experienced in other places other than small town Pakistan. Yes, I think um, I think what I would say is, is in, in neither of these attributes is perfect, right? They've both got their, their positive and negative. Yeah. I think New Zealand's, are, and maybe some of it's even, I mean, I'm really psychoanalyzing this, but some of it's even landscape and stuff. We, yeah. We're green and easier. We're a softer country, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, Australia's a big freaking desert with some beaches around the side of it's it. Harder, and that just, yeah. I think, makes it a harder yep. kind of a, yeah. a, a place. Do, do they laugh at different that. things? Is there something you'd get a laugh at here you wouldn't there and vice versa? Have you, I mean, have Australia you loves the smut, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get massive laughs when I do, like, sex jokes and stuff. And not to say New Zealand doesn't love smut every now and then. Like, it depends if you're doing, like, an 11 p.m. gig and, you know. But a whole show. Yeah, but a whole God. show of it, those dirty Aussies. I don't, I don't do a whole show of it, but, boy, they love it. They love it. Um, they love a bit of toilet y- humour, those Aussies. Interesting. This, what is that? Yeah, okay. Uh, no, it's a family show. I'm not going to get into that. Um, yeah. Jokes about your name. Um, what's your full name? Well, my full name is Pax. So, yeah, Pax Rohani Ziari Asadi. Ziari has been dropped. And what happened was half my family from Iran when they came to New Zealand. Uh, so half of my family came to New Zealand and then half of my family went to the US as refugees. They didn't communicate. They didn't talk to each other. So the name was, whatever your first name is, Ziari Asadi. No one spoke to each other. The American side of the family, when they got to immigration, wrote Ziari as their surname. When the New Zealand side of the family got to New Zealand, wrote Asadi in the immigration papers. So now our family's been split in half. But if that didn't happen, it would have been Ziari Asadi. So I just add that in. Yeah, we're a big family, but we've been through lack of communication and lack of the internet because we weren't able to just message each other got weirdly and, split and, and, you, and you've talked about pakistan i want, want to come back to that yeah. but, but but just just prior to that i mean your father's iranian yes. he obviously i think moved through pakistan we met your mother your mother's yes. pakistani mm. um but but i but you know i'm sure that when you're joking around about this name stuff and your mm. dad and it being hard for him to get a job mm. that must be true right i mean i think we know oh. that if you've got a name that's ethnic and long or yeah. any of these things yeah. you know you're just not getting the job the way jim would or yeah, the interview or even 100% and and i say this on stage as well sometimes people get a little bit defensive when i talk about this stuff i say this on stage you have to remember the context that my dad came to this country it was the 80s you know, it was the late 80s. Things were really different. 
It's still hard to get a job if you have a long ethnic name in 2023, yeah. but it is much easier than it was in the 80s. So my dad was in a very different context, in a very yes. different world, where societally we hadn't grown as we to the point it that just we just wasn't have, the flights and the cross-cultural flows. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We weren't used to this diversity that we're so accustomed to now, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it, it absolutely comes from truth. My dad did genuinely change his name to a more palatable name, like... You know, on his uh, legally, his name is Afnan Ivan Asadi now. So he put he added Ivan in there, and then when he mm. did when he goes to interviews, or now he doesn't, you know, go to job interviews. He's a retired business owner now. But you know, before when he would go to interviews or when he would have business meetings, he would lead with Ivan his entire life. There are lots of people that didn't even, that to this day don't even know his name is Afnan. You know, yeah. So um, yeah, it's all it's 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 true. It's real stuff, but um. Um, my intention is never to explore it to create division. My intention is always to explore it to create understanding. And and and, and, and look, it is funny, you know. Yeah, and also yeah, it's funny it, in every sense of the words. It's terribly funny. Yeah, <laughs> you yes. know. And and um, R and Z said about you um, quote you know your quote challenging monocultural views of New Zealand society yeah. with humour, which kind of is is a bit earnest. But I mean, that's 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 what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I've never shied away from the fact that comedy is, at at its core, a means to bring joy to people, yes. But also, it's a means to break down barriers. You can explore really, really serious topics with people. And if it's in the context of like a debate or just like a serious conversation, people get very defensive very quickly. You know, arms get folded very quickly. Brows get frowned very quickly. But in the context of comedy... Those barriers are not there. You know, you can say things that normally they'd be a bit defensive about, but because they're laughing, the message is going through and they're thinking about, you know, maybe an employer is in the in the audience and and maybe the next time a, 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 a application comes along that's a long ethnic name, they'll think twice about just throwing it aside because they assume that person can't speak English. The, the irony of all of this is your, your, your average, I'm stereotyping in a different way, but yeah. your average immigrant worker is going to work harder. Oh, you know, unlike the Kiwis, they're actually going to turn up at 8.30 oh, and work yes, a full freaking now you're, too, now you're speaking my language, son. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> yeah. these people need to get with the program. You want yeah. someone who does the job or not. Yeah, or someone who's having a, quote, mental health day. 100%. Every Monday this is, this after is, they've the, been to the rave. I, I love that you're on our side for this topic. <laughs> I love that you're one of us. We're gonna, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we want to adopt you. In my day job, I work at Chamber of Commerce, man. Yeah. I mean, I know these things. Go. Um, in this regard, what we're talking about, and you know the the the, the jokes, but exploring socialists. I mean, you, would you accept? I mean, you're a in that regard, you're a social campaigner. Yeah, yes, I I do accept a social responsibility to explore things. Look, I could have become a comedian, and lots of comedians have, where they just focus on the funny, and they just want to explore avenues that only make people laugh and, and avoid anything political, anything social, anything that challenges thought. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And actually, I love sitting down and watching comics who have no intention of changing thought. They just want to be funny. I love it. But I don't know what it is. Maybe it was my upbringing. Maybe it's my religious background. Maybe it's my, um, maybe it's the conversations that I had with my parents throughout my entire life where I just cannot shake the responsibility that, yes, I'm here to make you laugh, but also I want to challenge and, and shift culture even if it's in the slightest way. So yeah, I do see myself as a social campaigner um, to a degree, but but not forgetting the fact that I'm a comedian first and foremost. And if it's not and funny first, then you're like you're you're it, not doing your job. And actually, on that, is there a balance there? I mean, funny versus sort of being a bit. You know, I know these words. Everyone has a yeah. but, you know PC or woke. I yeah. mean, is it, is it you, 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 how is there a you got to be careful. I've never had an issue with, I've never ever had an issue with anyone pointing the finger at me, trying to cancel me, you know, anything like that, because I take pride in the fact that I make sure what I'm saying is objectively as funny as possible. And also I, the angle that I'm taking is an angle that is researched and intelligent or as intelligent, as intelligent as my level of intelligence will allow. <laughs> um, and I think when you, when you do that, when you take that responsibility and really try and make sure 
your your thoughts and your arguments and your concepts are well thought out, you usually avoid a lot of that. I think most people who get slammed with, you know, woke people trying to cancel them or whatever it may be, is because a lot of the time their angle or their their the concept or the or the or the vantage point that they're taking is actually quite is actually quite blunt and not actually very well thought out and a and a little bit easy if you know what i mean a little bit yeah. like low hanging fruit yeah. and i think it's less about like hey you're a bad guy and it's more about people are like i'm i'm just sick of it like i'm sick of like the joke that indians smell like curry or you know cab drivers are terrorists and i'm i'm using the most blunt examples like these are the most like you know obvious examples but they're they're valid examples nonetheless because like anything in that realm feels so done and we've heard it and we've experienced it our whole lives. If you want to explore anything in that realm, what's your new angle? Like what's the interesting angle? You know, what value are you bringing or, or what, what interesting take are you bringing to the table? And when that's done, I feel like 99% of the time, no one, no one minds. People are like, great, this is an interesting bit. You know, um, there's a comedian by the name of Shane Gillis. And um, he's not perfect. And I, and I think a lot of people will probably deem him as not perfect. And no comedian is perfect. But he's a really great example of a white comedian who steps into really touchy grounds and really t dicey subjects, but in a really intelligent and interesting and new way. Um, and as someone who's a brown comedian who has experienced a lot of racism, I really appreciate someone like Shane Gillis. And if if you if you have the time, you should go check him out because he's a great example of that. Shane Gillis, love to. We'll do that. Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to the Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful. Hello, everyone. Each week, we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential, even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. Well, so the reason we're talking all of this, and we've sort of said it, but your story, yeah. dad Iranian, had to leave because of persecution of his yes. Baha'i faith yes, um, at the time of the Islamic Revolution, mm -hmm. went to Pakistan, your mum was there, we yeah. presume they met. Um, they Looking then, beautiful, might I add. Wonderful. Dad couldn't resist. <laughs> he was punching. He punching was, above his way. Fantastic. That's fantastic. That's, that's how it should be for a man. And look, they were they were refugees. Yes. Yeah. Dad. Yep. Um, dad was a refugee. Mum was a refugee as well, but technically didn't need to be a refugee because right. she had a good job in Saudi right. Arabia, but wanted to be with my dad. So they came to New Zealand that way. How was the, um, how was your, so I, I picked up, you had the Hamilton experience and was Glenfield yeah. before or after that? Glenfield was before. Glenfield was my, the first 14 years of my life. How was that Glenfield um, experience? Uh, I, for I, your family, I mean, I, like I get a gist of, you know, the, some <clears throat> some of the essences of it that, as you say, aren't yeah. all literally true on um, raised yeah. by refugees. Is it, is it true you pretended to be a Tongan kid to fit in? That sort of yes, that's that's hundred yes. so percent and, and true. so you had to sort of give that a go, and you got found out, or how did that go? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to give that a go. That was that was right when nine eleven happened, and that's in the show. That was right when nine eleven happened, yes. and. Being Pakistani wasn't really much of a problem because people associate Pakistan with cricket and, and curry and dairy owner and all relatively not that hurtful stereotypes. I mean, annoying, but fine, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But Iran was, the Iranian side was really associated with something that had just happened in the world that was truly devastating. Um, and that's the side of me that I really wanted to like pretend didn't exist. What, um, what is your and yeah, and I can understand that, and what, but because yeah, for all the reasons you've said, yeah, what does your Pakistani and Iranian fucker papa mean to you now? Is it something that's and, and I appreciate it's probably um, well, may, I, maybe it's not, but is it complicated? Because I I think you've talked mm. about ethnic minority 
backgrounds, yeah. people from such backgrounds being an ethnic limbo, you know, they don't yeah. fully belong anywhere. I mean, so how yeah. do you how do you feel about your um y- you know, your heritage? I'm really proud of it now as a 32-year-old man, but it kind of took me a while, you know. It wasn't it, you know, you you've hit the nail on the head. It was it was a lot of ethnic limbo and I and I I wasn't proud of being an Iranian, you know, and you, we explore that in the show, you know, Pax pretending to be Tongan, which actually happened um, to l- shed something that I was really not proud of. And I wasn't really that proud of being Pakistani either because being South Asian in the 90s wasn't associated with anything good or cool per se, you know, like it was Apu from The Simpsons. It was... Not that Apu's a bad character. Actually, now as a 32-year-old, I think Apu's a beautiful character. <laughs> and I think I think the the backlash against Apu is not fair. I think he's a beautiful example of a hardworking immigrant who yes. does everything he can to provide for his family. It's cliche for a reason, right? Which is that there is a truth to that. I, I push back against people saying that these stereotypes are negative. I don't think they're negative. I think they're true. And I think they're a depiction of of a beautiful, hardworking people that take advantage of an opportunity that's given to them. Um, but yeah, to go back to to how I feel about my my heritage, I'm proud of it now after years of, of exploration and reflection and realizing how beautiful it is to be a member of New Zealand society who brings in a different perspective and contributing to the tapestry of New Zealand society with that different perspective while at the same time being a New Zealander. I think that's a really beautiful thing. But it took me a while to get there. Have you been um, to yeah. um have you been to both uh, Iran and Pakistan or either or both or many times once what? I've been to Pakistan four times. Hmm. Once when I was two, I don't remember that and then three other times that I remember very clearly. And you know, I love it. I, I want to go back sometimes. You know, I haven't been back in probably 15 years and I, and it's really overdue. I want to go back. My family live in beautiful villages where, you know, there's there's um it's so different to our existence in, in New Zealand and, and, and that's the part of it that I love. Iran, unfortunately, you you touched on it earlier, Simon, but um, the Baha'i faith, unfortunately, in 2023 is still persecuted in Iran. And um, I am not able to go back, which is sad for me, but it's far, far, far sadder for my father and, and my grandparents, my Iranian grandparents, that they will never, they will never ever be able to go back unless the regime changes anytime soon, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. Um, they, they will have to live their life knowing that they can't go back. And yeah, it's, it's sad for me, but it's, it's a much deeper sadness for them that they will never see their homeland again. But, mm. um, my, I am, even though I've never been to Iran, I am deeply connected to my Iranian culture because in the show this is explored, none of my Pakistani family came to New Zealand. So it's just my mum. So my connection to Pakistan is through her and through, you know, Zoom calls and, and, and chats with my family. But my connection to my Iranian family was based on my father, my grandparents, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins, my dad's aunties and uncles. So I was immersed in Iranian culture throughout my entire life. Uh, do you take on that stuff? I mean, do you flinch when you see those stories or people's stereotype of what an Iranian is or, or, yeah. or for that matter, a Pakistani? Or is there something you wish people knew about these cultures that you've learned? Or what's your... Yeah, I, I... It's about 49 things in that, but you can yeah, take it how you yeah, like. Got beautiful, concise questions there, <laughs> Um I... I mean, that's a really interesting question. I that's I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before, the question of what I want people to know about my people and my culture. I think the thing that I would want people to know is how tolerant our people actually are and that the media perception and the media message, and like you said, rightfully so, there's, there's things that happen in that part of the world that scream intolerance. But I think most relatively intelligent people would be able to surmise that that intolerance is top down, that it comes from the power structures and it isn't the people. And the people are actually really tolerant and really welcoming, beautiful people who just want a level of unity in their own country and globally. Um, That's what I would want people to know. Does that tolerance reflect itself in the way their power structures interact with the world? 
not all the time. And we see that in the news, but that isn't the people. That's what I would want people to know. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Today, I'm, you're married to uh, a Canadian Iranian. Uh, yes. Who's you know, I suppose is she Canadian, Kiwi, Iranian? I don't know, but but she's actually got... she's actually Canadian, born born in Canada, raised in Canada, then moved to Vanuatu when she was nine, raised in Vanuatu till she's eighteen, then moved to Dunedin to go to Otago Uni to study law. Wow. Yeah. Is she confused? Born in <laughs> she's very confused. She's ve- she's like she doesn't know where she's from. If I think I'm in <laughs> it, cultural limbo, like my wife is lost. Like she, she'll never be found. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's very, but the beautiful thing about it is that she's very of the world and very. Um, international. International. She speaks five languages. Amazing. I yeah. hate people like that. Yeah. Putting God, me to shame, making me feel smartness. I can't even do English properly. Um, yeah. You, and you mentioned the Baha'i faith earlier. I yes. did too. Um Am I right to say um, you're you're both of that faith? That was part of yes. how you met, and you know, yes. to the extent you're comfortable, what's what's God, that you've about? Done some good research, Simon. I'm very impressed. Yeah, no, it's right. Me and Jen, who you've met, um, good old what's, Jen. What's what's me uh, and Jen went to the same high school in Hamilton, right? Hillcrest. Which was what Hillcrest? Hillcrest till we die. <laughs> yeah, man. My father went to I don't know. Was it Hamilton Boys about ninety oh, years ago? But, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to sully yeah, the memory of your yeah. father. And, and I feel and I feel bad. Hamilton's all right. I went not, too far. Sorry. A, a good night in, out in Hamilton can be can be quite good. You know, I just want I to think, say I one think, positive thing about Hamilton. That's an oxymoron, Simon. A good night in Hamilton. That's not <laughs> possible. Give us a flavour of, of of the Baha'i faith. A monotheist faith that believes in one God. We believe that um, all religions come from the same God, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam. All religions come from the same God. All the prophets of those religions are spiritual teachers that were sent to guide humanity um, at different times in humanity's development. So no no prophet is wrong and, and not true. All prophets come from the God that we worship as well. We believe in the prophet that is the most recent and uh, whose message is the most suitable for our society right now. Um, And that message is essentially the core message is a message of oneness, oneness of religion, oneness of humanity um, and, and, and unity. That's the core message. And. You know, like an example of that, one of the one of the teachings of Baha'u'llah, who is the who is the prophet we believe in, that is his title, um, which means glory of God. He says, Oh, the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. So conceptually, the Baha'i faith is based on this idea of oneness that there are no countries, there are no races. These are figments of man's ego throughout the development of humanity. And that really we are one country and we are one race. Does that mean that countries shouldn't exist? No. I, you know, there, another core concept of the Baha'i faith is unity in diversity. Not Sometimes get people get confused and think it's unity and diversity. It's actually unity in diversity, meaning there is a unity regardless of that diversity. Um, and so... This idea is not to abolish countries, but rather under having perspective. What level of importance do countries play? And what level of importance does our perception of each other play? Meaning we aren't different. We're the same. Yes, we have our own countries. We have our own cultures. We have our own food. We have our own cultural dances. We have our own cultural ways of doing things. We, have, we do different things in the summertime. All of these things. But really what the, what the most pertinent and important thing is, is that on a core level we are the same? Is, is it a um? Is, is Baha'i um, uh, those of Baha'i faith? Um, mm. Do you go to church, a church or a temple? And and is is it is is there much of a community in New Zealand or not? Not 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 really. Yeah, there, there is a. It's not a huge community. It's it's not the biggest religion in the world. It's it's maybe eighth, ninth, tenth, something around there in the world in terms of size. It's interestingly the most second widespread religion on the planet. Um, m- meaning, you know, there there are Baha'is in every corner of the planet. Only behind, I think, Islam is the sec- is the first most widespread. Either Islam or Christianity. One of those two would be the most widespread. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't, I haven't fact checked that. But um, in New Zealand, there's probably a population of close to ten thousand Baha'is. So not not huge, a small community. Um, 
but a vibrant community nonetheless and a community that I grew up in and and, and I and I genuinely love I love the, the New Zealand Baha'i community a very diverse community we have a huge population of Tongans we have a huge population of Persians that migrated from Iran just like my dad and and came as refugees we have a huge population of Samoans of white people um you know Filipinos uh yeah the Baha'i the Baha'i community in New Zealand is is really diverse in a, in a really really cool way um and we do we don't have church per se like we don't go to church every sunday or go to you know mosque every friday we don't have that we have what what is called a 19 day feast the bahai calendar is split into 19 day months and every 19 days we go to someone's house in our immediate community so my immediate bahai community is waitakere south represent and <laughs> we go to someone's house within the waitakere south community Right. And we say prayers, we meditate together, we discuss the affairs of our Baha'i community. Is everyone doing okay? Does anyone want to expl- explore anything? Does anyone want to discuss anything? Does anyone need help with anything? And then after all that, we eat. Um, and that's the that's the kind of process of worship in the Baha'i community, in, in, the, in the simplest form. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I think it's... I, I think it's meaningful to talk about these things and appreciate yeah. you being so open with us. I, I had like 98 other questions, but I have to come to you and TV. I've yes. already said, you know, you've had only an Aotearoa, freaking dangerous bro. You've you got a nature one. That's yeah. been on yet? Or where, 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 yeah, it's in, been on. Endangered species Aotearoa? Yeah, it's on TVNZ. You can watch it on TVNZ. Um, on demand. On demand. Um, yeah, me and Nicola Toki. Have you heard of Nicola Toki? Yeah, the dock yes, worker? yes. She, uh, well, she doesn't work for Doc anymore. She's the she's the head of Forest and Bird now. Her and I, you know, she's genuinely knowledgeable about nature, and I'm genuinely not. And <laughs> we we go into the bush, and she she tells me about endangered species, and I just genuinely react. And it's a nature Fantastic. documentary that is informative, but just in a different way, where we get to be funny and we get to be silly, um, but at the same time, we get to be genuinely in awe of. New Zealand's beautiful natural landscapes, and we've and we've been skirting around and mentioned it three or four times. Raised by refugees, brilliant! Yeah. I loved it. Watched Thank it with you. my kids; they loved it. Although the one on the wet dreams was a bit awkward. You know, Sorry, my Simon. my eleven year old was kind of like, I'm not sure we want to talk about that at the moment <laughs> and what. But he was laughing, so I I'm kind so of feel sorry. like it was I've a knowing this onto your family. Sorry to use the word thrust as well in this context. I apologize. <laughs> well, it feels... with wet dreams, there's no thrusting. Well, anyway, look, let's not go there. Okay, so um, <laughs> and there's, it's like a little kind of in-joke sort of New Zealand comedy yeah. team. You've, I, yeah. I saw Justine Smith, who I know a bit. I think there was yeah. one or two others I recognize. I'm trying to think. Um, who, who, who keeps sort of having cameo walk-ons. Yeah. Um, is, is it true? Was the bit of, I'm fascinated by two or three things that I just yes. just fact check on you. Yeah. Is the, is it true that your dad was sort of giving out the Jonah Lomu books for workmates to get in with them? Because because if it isn't, it's quite a good. It's it's one of those things that's got a great truth to it, even if it's bollocks. It's not. It's not that the way it unfolds in the show is not true. But my dad would utilize, and you see it again in the camp episode where he brings up cricketers. Randomly, he randomly brings up cricketers. <laughs> my dad would, it's an, it's an exaggeration of the ta- of a tactic my dad would use yes. where he would just research New Zealand sports only to be able to have conversations with Kiwi blokes. <laughs> it's amazing. I, yeah. so I the, totally the, the, get it though. The it's, essence it's, is true. It, the, it's very, um, isn't that sort of sincere and beautiful in its way? I mean, it almost makes me emotional. It's like that, that story of a new immigrant that sort yeah. of has to do these things to ingratiate themselves in a culture. But I, I don't think, know that that will necessarily ever change in as much as, you know, that is that story of coming somewhere different where people have a bunch of norms and ways of doing things. Yeah. And you've got to try and get into that in crowd the way kids do in, 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 a, in, a, in a classroom situation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and nine uh, eleven. I mean, is that... <sighs> Was that, oh, I can still, I don't know about you, it's one of those, what you remember, I remember I was in a um, garage I was mm. renting for about 50 bucks a week in uh, on Tara Road in Papamoa, mm. the Bay of Plenty, when, yeah. when that happened, and a mate texted me, I think we had text back then, I woke up and, and watched that, but was that a real issue for you and your family? Oh, I mean, was it, yeah. did, did people, it, was, it became a weird, um, word of the podcast problematic thing? It, it. Yes, yeah. It was it was genuinely a really 
earth-shattering moment for our family and for the world. Like it was, it was such a ground-shaking moment for the world. But for our family, it really, you know, my family lost friends. People, you know, stopped communicating with us, and and my father would experience, you know, the 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 scene of the guy coming into the to the his store. Well, the store in real life, it was his store that the guy walked into, but in the show, it's the store he works in, but the guy walking in and just berating him because he wouldn't do what he wanted him to do. So he just started berating him about being a terrorist. Like that happened, you know? Yeah. Um, Terrible. So yeah, 9-11 did shift a lot of perception about Middle Eastern people in a really negative way. And it was, it was really life-changing for me. But What's interesting about it is that 9-11 also created a real sense of deep unity between minorities that never existed before. You know, Sikh people would walk down the road and they would like, give me a nod or like, give me a fist pump. You know, like I never, I never interacted with a Sikh person, you know, other than like a hello, hi, bye kind of situation. A Sikh person never walked down the road and, and gave me a fist pump or stopped me and, and you know started having a conversation and because we were all united by this moment that thankfully passed, but this moment of national and global fear of people that have beards or wear turbans or are brown or t- tanned and have thick eyebrows and look like they're from a d- another place, you know. And we all united under that umbrella of survival. So, you know, there's, I mean, you mentioned it before, this idea that um, nothing is good purely and nothing is bad purely. There is silver lining in, in, in everything if you, look, if you look hard enough. There's, there's lots of situations where it's very hard to find the silver lining, but if you look hard enough, there is, it exists. And does, um, and don't be modest about this, but, you know. Oh, trust uh, me, Simon, I won't. Is it to <laughs> um, do with well, how much well, money well, I've made then, over the years? Then you're clearly not a real Kiwi because we're all so sort of <laughs> modest and, oh, we... You know, I mean, we can't say anything good about ourselves because, you know, someone might notice. And I'm, um, I, I'm a Kiwi who's trying to push back against it actively. Yeah, me too. Me too. Let's be I'm, proud. I'm proud to be humble. Um, yeah. Yeah, where was I going on that? Um, your your show, yeah. um, uh, Raised by Refugees, Yes. do you think it has a value other than as great fun entertainment that I can watch with my kids? The key value that I hope it has is yes, comedy, but but um, hopefully being an example that even if you're a son of refugees from an Iranian Pakistani background, my experience is actually not that different from no. Gregory or Steve no. or Matthew who grew up in Mochueka. You know, like it. We're actually, even though my background is different, our experiences are very similar and there's lots of crossover and there's lots of things to be united on. That's what I hope. I hope that people watch the show and go, hey, that happened to me. Or something similar to that happened to me. Or, man, I remember that feeling. That exact thing didn't happen to me, but I remember feeling that way when I was 12 years old, you know? And that's what I hope it does, is that it, it, it's a it's a source of unity um, and, and bridge building um, through shared experience. But also I, I, I hope th- it's just crack up. Oh, it, it is crack up. I definitely recognised a lot of things in it from my own yeah. childhood, which is, you know, same but different, yeah. as you say. And, uh, you know, whether it's the mucking around with your family and the fireworks and the ridiculousness yes. of that or some of the other sort of family um, interactions. No, fantastic. And uh, on Sky and Neon. And what was it like playing your parents and picking sort of bits out of their lives and your life and weird and how they reacted to it actually we yeah i mean um yes weird objectively weird um <laughs> there's no there's no beating around that bush it was weird um it's also weird how easily i slipped into the role of my dad like you realize you're actually very similar <laughs> to your own father and, and it's very easy to become him which is a bit uh, confronting and scary it was a strange experience but it was also a really uh, um I was honored to have that opportunity to, you know, play my dad and for Kellyani, um, who plays my mum, to have that opportunity to play people who've who've gone through these things and experienced these things to try and do it justice and to do it with like, 
you know, even though they're doing comedy bits in the show, there is a level of dignity that you can have when you play your parents. Um, and even at the writing level, portraying them in, in ways that not, yes, show the, the difficulty they've been through, but also show their humanity and their nobility as well, that they're hardworking people who are noble and, and, and um, kind and, and all of those great qualities that they have. How they feel about it, my mum loves it. My mum loves... My mum secretly wants to be a celebrity. Like she, like she walks into. <laughs> they, they, they're all they're the same, all bro. The, my parents, my mother was yeah, the same. My mum walks into random stores and out of nowhere, unprompted, goes, "You know, my son is Pak Society," and people are like, "Okay, <laughs> like, what do you want me to do with that information?" Um, so she loves it. Um, my dad is much more nervous and much more trepidatious about the whole thing. And I don't blame him. He's the one who experienced most of the trauma. My mum experienced really tough things as well, but my dad was the one who, as a Baha'i, was heavily persecuted. Their home was burnt down. Their business was taken from them. Their farm was taken from them. My grandfather was beaten many times. Really dark stuff, really heavy stuff. And so, you know, I'm taking that trauma and I'm using it for the nation's entertainment and for him to feel... <laughs> <laughs> For him to feel somewhat uncomfortable about it, I, I hold nothing mm. against him and and completely understand. But to his credit, I had a conversation with him, multiple conversations with him, and we explored the idea that maybe his pain can actually be healing for a lot of people. And he has come around to that idea and he's it, it doesn't change the fact that he can feel uncomfortable about it sometimes, but he's come to the he's come to the conclusion that it probably is helping more than it's hurting it's a, it's actually a really sacrificial of him because it hurts him mm. but because it could help others he lets it happen which is really cool well for what it's absolutely for what it's worth they come across as great people and you know great couple that's 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 what's presented yeah, on the, I'm, I'm the screen and and I and I presume for you, it, it it does force you to, you know, to write this. You have to have an empathy for your parents and be thinking through what it was like oh, for them man. and how they would react in that circumstance. And that is, yeah. um, I, I've done the same in my own little, little book. I mean, that's a, that's an unusual um, uh, sort of thought process in a way, isn't it? It was it was a real crash course in really appreciating your parents. You know, you're forced to reflect on everything they've been through. And it's a real confronting method of realizing how hard your parents had it and, and what they went through to, for you. It was all for you, you know, so that you have a, have a, you know, good financial stable foundation and, and, and a good emotional foundation. It was all for you. And, and that really like slaps you in the face when you've got to write a TV show about it. No doubt about it. And, and, What's the specific value mm. of this show to min minority communities? I think representation is really important. And we talk about representation all the time. We talk about, um, you know, you've got to see your own face on TV or movies or whatever to, to feel validated or to feel represented. But I think there is a level of representation that goes one step further. I don't really care about Black Little Mermaid. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. I think it's whatever. It feels a bit tokenistic. It feels a bit like, here, here's a here, I'll throw you a bone. But there's a level of representation that feels a step above that. And it's the representation that I'm really interested in, which is a representation that not only depicts diverse faces, but the story that's being told comes from those diverse people's perspective. And that's a level of representation that I think is what's truly valuable, rather than making fictional characters a certain color. Again, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. I, I, I'm indifferent about it. But the representation that I'm not indifferent about and I think is objectively powerful and important is representation that represents not only faces, but also story and perspective. And that's the that's the sphere that I think Raised by Refugees kind of lives within. And I hope, I hope many other projects and movies and shows from whatever background they may be, from a Pakia background, from a Maori background, from a Filipino background, from a Thai background, from whatever it is, I hope that's the ethos that is adopted, that it's the perspective and the real experience that's important.
Um, what does the future hold for you? What are you? Have you got any exciting projects you're allowed to tell us, or do you have to kill us first, or <laughs> sign confidentiality agreements? Uh, there, you... Yeah, there, I mean, there's a few things I can't talk about, um, but there's a few things I can talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of of writing quite a lot, um, uh, generating new ideas for new narrative based shows, and so I'm just getting back into the process of stand up. The thing I fell in love with in the first place, you know, getting back to my roots. Um, so yeah, just creating, just creating as much as possible and, and trying to stay active in, in being a storyteller is, is fantastic. Well, you've given us just enough leg there to know that there's things yeah. coming up and we're, we're, we're intrigued and we're Without interested and, uh, exactly. I want to finish the way I always do ask you a few questions in a section yeah. we call general knowledge. Okay. Um, if you could be somebody else for a day. Who would you be? LeBron James. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Playing Pax Asadi, playing LeBron James in the movie of his uh, life. Fantastic. Yeah. God, um, that would be confusing, eh? I didn't it, know LeBron was this hairy. <laughs> <laughs> if money was no object, what are the first three things you'd buy? If money was no object, what are the first three things I would buy? A holiday home in Paihia. Love it. I would buy two... Rolex watches that I would then <laughs> it sounds it sounds really self indulgent why one for each of my daughters that oh, I nice. hope that they would pass down generation to generation do you know it's generation. very hard to get hold of a Rolex this day, it is. these days it's ridiculous it's like this long waiting list yeah, it's, and become, the, it's not just money it's who you know yeah and the price of them I think is absurd the only reason I say this is because you've said money is no object but I but to pay that much money for for a watch, I feel really gross about. But if money is no object, I would love an heirloom for my children to be able to pass down and for my great-great-great-grandchildren to have something to remember their great-great-great-grandfather by. Yeah, good. And which, which famous actor would play you in the movie of your life? Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with a big old beard. Yeah, Brad Pitt with a big old stick-on oh, beard. see that. No, you play. Yeah, I can see that. It's not. No, it's um, some resemblance. Yeah, he just has to lie in the sun for as six my months. um as my as as people would unkindly say about my large Maori father. Yeah, tall, dark, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's I the strangest that. tradition in your family? The strangest tradition in my family, I think, would probably be. It's again, it's strange to other people, but not strange to me. But like, it's probably associated with food. Um, you know, eating eating cow tongue is normal in Persian culture, or well, we, used to, we used to eat cow tongue. You did? Yeah, but I can't. Could I bite it now? Because it's got the little bristles on it, and that's just not. It's just too real. Yeah, it is really. But my real. mother used to Saturday lunch with bread and beetroot and tomato and lettuce. That's a that's a Persian cow tongue sandwich. Are you Persian? A little bit of, I could. I've I've got great crossover appeal, my friend. You've you, you, like you've got a, that ambiguous look. I feel like in a <laughs> is it in it like a, in, 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 in a movie scene in Tehran or something. I could. You I, could be yeah, in the background. I could be. I could be in the background walking past selling kebabs. <laughs> selling. Yeah, yeah hey, in the background. Hey. Who's stereotyping typing now, Pax? I don't oh, say sorry. that. Hey, we that, look. That's what I we don't do. Like the way. Stereotyping. We sell kebabs, okay? Even in Iran, we sell kebabs. I've actually got an amazing Iranian rug at home. That, there um, you go. I think I'm not this tell is the, the podcast we where we're revealing yeah. that Simon Bridges is actually Iranian <laughs> <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> if yeah. you could choose to stop aging at any age, which would you choose? Oh, what a what a banger of a question, Simon. Because you're young. Did you tell me you're, did you just say you're 30, sort of two, two. or something? 32. That is, that's the, that's the age I was when I went to parliament. I w what have you been doing with your life, Pax? I'm going to parliament. No. <laughs> <laughs> you've, um, written, would... you've written season two and season three, but a good chunk of season three by the sounds of a, of a, of a, of a successful TV show. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'd probably stop at 28. Wow. Yeah, twenty eight is. I feel like twenty eight is a. I feel like that was perfect year of my life. Yeah, it, it feels good. How you physically kind of in your peak. You're mature enough that you're not like a dumb twenty one year old anymore. Yeah, I feel twenty eight feels good. Were you married at twenty eight? I was married at twenty one. 
Oh, amazing. To a 28-year-old. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. old woman. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was objectively a bad husband for like five years. You, you can't be a good husband at 21. No. No, I, I think that's probably true. Well, look, it's been a great pleasure talking to Pax. Really appreciate it. Pax Asadi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Generally Famous, the Stuff podcast. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black, and audio editor, John Ropiah. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Mark, if we look at News Hub, the potential of that closing its entire operation in June, the cuts at TVNZ, what's at risk here? Well, look, we get into this whole thing, you know, democracy is at risk, but News Hub from their first days always tried to do things a little bit differently and may have been considered a little bit more sort of kick-ass and less respectful to the politicians. But you need that. I mean, our job is not to be sort of cheerleaders for whoever. It should be to sort of to question and to, and to keep people informed. If you don't have a news media sort of calling people out, it's the wild west. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsville wherever you get your podcasts.